This morning we're in 1 Samuel chapter 11, but today is Mother's Day. Now, I do not give Mother's Day sermons. I do not give Father's Day sermons. I won't give you a birthday sermon. But we do want to honor our mothers. And in today's world, many mothers have chosen to be mothers, chosen to carry their baby and be a mom. And so may the Lord richly bless you, mothers, and your commitment to his word is noted that you are fruitful and you multiply. And so may the Lord give you wisdom as you train and nurture your children and your perhaps just one child, and may your prayers be heard by God, your creator. So as your children, we salute you mothers. Amen? Amen. All right, enough of the gushy stuff. Let's move on to the scriptures. Last week, we looked at how Samuel declared Saul Israel's chosen king. Samuel the prophet. He even wrote a book on how the kings of Israel should behave and really how they should govern. And he set this book before uh, probably the ark, but he set it before God that it would be a witness to all the future kings. After Samuel's inauguration ceremony, Saul goes back to his home returns to being a farmer. And some valiant men, they go with Saul, men whose heart has been touched by the Lord. But in the last verse of chapter 10, we're in 11 today, we, we read where some rebels say, how can this man save us? And they're taking a shot at Saul. And they despise Saul. And notice how their hatred is revealed. They did not bring Saul any presents. And I guess it was customary uh, in that culture, in that day, that uh, you brought a new king, a new ruler, presents. But there's, there's some rebels there, and they don't want to acknowledge Saul. But it's interesting to note that our God notices our giving. Remember when Jesus turned and saw that the, the widow put in two, two copper coins? And he said, she's given more than all the rest. Our Lord notices our generosity, our giving. So that's why he tells us, give with a cheerful heart or don't bother. But uh, they didn't bring any presents to Saul, and that's noteworthy. We'll touch on that a little later. And there's many different Christian churches across our nation where a whole lot of emphasis is placed upon giving tithes and offerings, and they highly encourage giving. 
Here at Calvary Chapel, Madison, we try not to overemphasize the giving of your money. We really do. God has provided, and we're okay. So if you're wondering, should I give or should not give, give cheerfully or don't bother. There you go. Uh, acknowledging God's love of you and his goodness to you should cause you to be a giver. We as Christians are allowed to support his church, his kingdom here on earth. And I firmly believe giving unto God is behavior that God can bless. And we all want God's blessing. But here in Israel, not everybody is delighted with the new king. Some of these rebels, they despise Saul. And they despise him before he does anything good or anything bad. Perhaps you've noticed that there are many who despise our new president. And many have never even given him a chance for his judging him on doing good or bad. They just despise him before they even give him that opportunity. Recently, a new declaration was uh, put forth by our president that religious organizations, churches, we can now speak of our preference of political candidates. <laughs> and it makes us consider who we do and who we do not support. So I'm free now to tell you who I like as a president or don't like as a candidate or so forth and so on. But let's read chapter 11 of 1 Samuel and uh, we'll begin now. Then they, Naash, what a name. The Amorite came up and encamped against Jabez Gilead. And all the men of Jabez said to Naash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. And Naash the Amorite answered them, O oh, this condition I will make a covenant on this commission, I will, a condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. There, that's a good condition. Then the elders of Jabez said to him, Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel, and then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. In other words, if there's no one to save us, we're going to allow you to do this. So the messengers came to Gilgal of, and, of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field, and Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen, and he cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. 
When he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000. The men of Judah was 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabez-Gilead, Tomorrow by this time the sun is hot, you, you shall have help. Then the messenger came and reported it to the men of Jabez, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabez said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies, <clears throat> and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is this that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and re renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Just a little background. Jabesh Gilead is a city of Israel, but it's on the east side of the Jordan River where it was like good grazing land, good cattle country. And they're amongst the Ammonites. And the Ammonite leader, he's very cruel with his conditions of peace with Jabesh Gilead. He is being like his namesake. Naash means serpent. How would you like to have a name? Hey, snake, come here. <laughs> Naash wants peace, but he wants peace that will bring reproach on Israel, a peace that will shame them and also lame them. Naash is from the modern-day area of what we would call Jordan. And many of these tribes in that area at that time were very barbaric. A little history on the Ammonites and why they offer peace at such a high price. Why did they demand that their right eye be put out? Well, it's just uh, being barbaric. Naash considers the people of Jabesh Gilead, looks at their history, and they have a history of nonviolence. They were the only ones, Jabesh Gilead was, who did not fight in the civil war between Benjamin and the other 11 tribes. Jabesh Gilead held back. They didn't fight in that battle. Being a pacifist, or however you say it, often translates into being cowardly. And Naash, he prejudges Jabesh and he considers them a cowardly people. This is why his terms for peace is so humiliating. Naash, he is overconfident, and he allows Jabesh Gilead, he allows him seven days. If you can find help in seven days, uh, I'm going to give you seven days to even give me an answer. And uh, he wants an answer to his crippling demands for peace. 
Naash is much like Satan. Satan will condemn us for our failures. Have you ever considered not stepping forward and speaking the truth because your past has been uh, not the best? Perhaps you failed, perhaps you sinned, and you're a little bit timid, a little bit shy about stepping forward and being a witness for God. And that's Satan who will condemn you. He doesn't want us declaring the goodness and forgiveness of God, so he will sometimes try to intimidate us. Naash, he thinks he has Jabesh Gilead between a rock and a hard place. And I think he's enjoying watching uh, Jabesh melt down in fear, and they are afraid. But that's one of Satan's biggest weapons against us as believers. He tries to put fear into our hearts. Don't allow him to make you afraid of anything. When Lori and I decided to come to North Alabama and try to plant a Calvary Chapel, we had Christian friends and Christian relatives who would ask us, what are you going to do? If the church fails, that's a good question. <laughs> and your church plant doesn't go. It's not, a, not successful. And then they would say something, maybe you should reconsider selling your farms and ranches in California and wait and see about that church plant thing. I actually had a, a lady relative tell me, God did not call you to move and plant a church. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that word of encouragement. <laughs> but for a year when we moved back here and we lived in Harvest, we thought that would be a cool name, <laughs> lived in Harvest, and we prayed for God to open a door for us. And on Sunday mornings, I would sit on my porch and pray and then consider have I made the biggest blunder of my life? <laughs> we felt God was leading us here, but nothing was going on. Can you imagine the fear that grips Jabesh Gilead? Especially the men, knowing that this guy's wanting to poke out their right eye. And as they wait for the messengers sent to Saul to come back, Saul sent some good word. He received their SOS. And Saul, he's the farmer, but when he sees and hears the people weeping, he rises to one of his glorious moments. And in verse 6, Saul says, his anger is greatly aroused. It's possible for us to have a righteous anger. And Saul has a righteous anger here. I've never heard of anyone being righteously mad. There's a big difference between being angry and being mad. Saul cuts up the yoke of oxen and he sends all his body parts with messengers throughout of all of Israel. And he gives them a message. 
Come and join us in battle, me and Samuel, or your ox will be cut up just like the peace you received. If you don't join us in battle, we're going to come and cut up your oxen. But the people come to Saul, and they come in one accord. They're all in agreement. 300,000 men of Israel show up, and 30,000 men of Judah answer this call of Saul to battle. Saul sends word to Jabez Gilead, tomorrow by noon you will have our help. That had to be the best news Jabez Gilead ever received. Tomorrow, they send word to Naash that tomorrow we'll come out to you and you can do whatever you please to us. Saul, meanwhile, takes these 330,000 troops and he marches all night, divides them into three groups and comes upon the Ammonites and he completely destroys them. He slaughters them and they scatter so quickly and so uh, fiercely that not even two men flee together. They, each person goes his own way as those that escape with their life. But we saw that Saul, when he received this news, he was still farming. But now he gets to set up his throne of his headquarters. And after the victory, these valiant warriors that have killed the Ammonites, they remembered the rebels of Israel who had declared, how can Saul save us? And they want to kill all these rebels of Israel, their own people. But Saul, he issues a decree, no man shall be put to death this day, for today God has been our salvation in Israel. Great humility by Saul, great wisdom by Saul. Samuel the prophet, he brings the people together at Gilgal, and Saul's throne, his kingship, is established there. And there is sacrifice, and there is peace offerings made before the Lord. And there is great rejoicing in Israel. <clears throat> and by the way, the men of Jabesh, they have both eyes, and, they <laughs> and they're grateful for that. But Saul became very angry, greatly aroused. And his anger is a righteous anger. We can get mad and we can lose our temper, but that's not a righteous anger. We read in scripture how God becomes angry and then there's a judgmental reaction by God uh, upon the situation. Being mad usually brings forth regretful behavior. So the difference is being angry can motivate us to doing something about a situation in a good way and being mad is just of the flesh. It's just being mad. Being angry can be that motivator to do something constructive in the face of a sinful situation. Saul in his anger brings Israel 
Israel together against the Ammonites, and the Ammonites are a violent pagan society. Slaw kills a couple oxen, cuts them up into body parts, and sends these body parts out and throughout all of Israel, and the people respond by gathering with Saul. They come to fight against those Ammonites, and they come to fight for Jabesh Gilead. The United States as a country, as a nation, was united in Pearl Harbor when the Japanese bombed our Navy there in Pearl Harbor. The terrorist attack on 9-11 united America in anger, at least for a short while, against Muslim terrorists. Moses, in Exodus, he became hot with anger when Israel made a golden calf while he was away receiving the Ten Commandments on the mountain. He was hot with anger. Let me read you a passage in Exodus. You don't have to turn there. Exodus 32, uh, chapter 19, verses uh, through 24. So it was as soon as he came near to camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took up the calf which they had made, burned it with fire, and ground it to powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. <laughs> and Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let your uh, anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. What a cop out. But anyway... For they said to me, Make us gods that we shall go up before us. For as for Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Really? <laughs> Aaron puts good spin on a very evil behavior. Moses' anger is hot against the people and Aaron. Aaron's, he says, the people are intent on being evil. There are many sins in our society that we are exposed to. Allow God's anger against sin to motivate us as believers to stand against sin. Hate the things God hates. Sometimes we want to have opinions about what is sinful and what isn't. Hate sin. Just go ahead and hate it. It's okay. Let me mention one, and I'll, I'll mention one that stirs me. There is one female politician who promotes a woman's choice to have an abortion. She promotes the right of women, or anyone really, to kill helpless babies in the womb. 
this congressman of California, she absolutely triggers my angry side. Can I mention her? I will mention her name, Nancy Pelosi. She drives me crazy. And I go back and forth with my emotions against her. Now these emotions, they have a good effect on me. They cause me to pray against Nancy Pelosi. I don't pray for her damnation or anything, but I do pray against her evil behavior. I pray against her evil voting record, and I do pray against that. I saw her on TV promoting a woman's choice to have an abortion while her children stood there and listened to their mother. And I thought, what a sad scene that is, that their mom would sit there and say, hey, because I was in a good mood, you're here, you know. And it's appalling to me. It's pure evil. Our president re recently declared, we churches can now voice our political choices. We can voice our opinion on politicians. Before they said that was kind of a no-no, you know, separation of church and state and all that kind of thing. But is there a sinful elected person that angers you? You've heard mine. Let it stir you to behavior or to action against that person. You can pray for them. You can pray that they'll be removed from office. But don't be hateful with your prayer. But let your prayer, let your anger lead you to righteous indignation or righteous anger. It can be a great motivator to do good. As a believer, stand for righteousness. We don't have to support these politicians that are evil. We don't have to. So let your anger cause you to be a man or a woman of prayer against a situation that is sinful. Amen? Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for our country. We thank you we get to elect our leaders. But, Lord, we want to come against sinful behavior of our leaders. We want you to put a, a heart in them, a heart that you changed like in Saul. You changed Saul's heart, and you made him a good leader. Later he will sin and turn away, but, Lord, Saul had a good beginning. And we want to see our political leaders look to you and trust you for righteous standards in our country. Return our country, Lord, to a country that, is, that hates sin, Lord. We make excuses for sin as a people, as a society. We, we dress up the names of sin by, uh, by the things we call it. 
But Lord, look at our hearts and stir our hearts to be angry at sin that goes on all around us. And then let us be praying to you that you would change the hearts and lives of our leaders, of our people. We ask you to do this by your spirit, Lord. So cause us to be faithful. Cause us to stand against sin wherever we see it. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I got a little political.